If you would turn again to John chapter 16, we want to look at specifically verses 16 through 24 as we turn to joy or as Jesus promised to the disciples to take that sorrow that they're about to experience and to turn it to joy. And it's only the Bible that can kindle the fire of genuine joy. Only the Bible contains the flame of the knowledge of God and His promises. And according to God's Word, when we experience this joy of the Lord, our lives, our hearts, our faces, our songs, our praises, they can be marked by true joy that we can turn to. Um, The late Scottish preacher Alexander White observed that we all tend to hang heavy weights on the thinnest of wires. He meant that we hang our happiness on fragile things that easily and quickly can be taken from us. We hang our joy and our happiness on things like health, our mates, children, jobs, homes, our possessions. And those are all good blessings from the Lord, but they're inadequate as a foundation for lasting joy. Because all of those things are uncertain. They're transitory. When we experience loss, as the disciples are about to do, as Jesus tells them that they are going to experience, those are the times where Satan wants to really jump in on us. The words from 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 tells us to be watchful. But it tells us that Satan is like that roaring lion that prowls around seeking who he may devour. And that's what was going to happen to the disciples here too. And today, we don't always face sorrow. We don't always face the things that come ahead in the way that God would want us to. Because in our world today, some have mistaken the idea that because we believe in Jesus, that Jesus is going to protect us from all suffering. We won't ever experience any. And I can go to any one of you and you would know that that's not true. Others claim healing by faith. And when it doesn't work, they're told that they don't have enough faith. Others have been under the impression that it's unspiritual to grieve or to shed tears. So they try to smile and say, praise the Lord to everything. But they're dying inside. And in our text, Jesus is preparing the disciples for this overwhelming sorrow that they would experience in the next few hours as they would watch Jesus be arrested, mocked, scourged, crucified. Their world would come crashing down around them. They had put their hopes and their stake, their future on the belief that Jesus was the promised Messiah of Israel. The previous Sunday, their hopes were high as Jesus rode into Jerusalem to the hosannas of the crowd. But now everything they had hoped for would come to a sudden shocking end as they watched Jesus suffer and die. And Jesus promises them that he will turn their sorrow to joy. He uses a phrase there, in a little while. That gets confusing to them, and it's confusing to many Bible scholars. They start trying to put it out a ways, but it's pretty straightforward here. 
The in a little while means that Jesus is going to die. In a little while, you're not going to see me anymore. The word for see there is this word that you won't be able to behold me and, and touch me and all the different things that way. You, you, you won't um, be able to have that constant attention on me. But he says, then again in a little while, the second in a little while, you will see me. It's a different word for see. In this case, you are going to be able to see me visibly, Jesus said. He's talking about the resurrection. When his disciples will see Jesus again, raised to life again, but they won't see him in the same way. <laughs> Let's start with the words of confusion there in verses 16 through 18. A little while you'll see me no longer, and again a little while you'll see me. <laughs> and that caused confusion among them. And I love how the next verses 17 and 18 go. And I'd like to read it to you from the message. This is a paraphrase about how they respond to it. It says, that stirred up a hornet's nest of questions among the disciples. What, what's he talking about? In a day or so, you're not going to see me, but then in another day or so, you're going to see me? And because I'm on my way to the Father, what is this day or so? We don't know what Jesus is talking about. <laughs> After... The disciples would see Jesus again, though. Their sorrow would get turned to lasting joy. As we read later on, it would not get taken away from them. Here's the fact, though. They are going to experience that sorrow. We experience sorrow in this fallen world. We aren't insulated from it. From experience that deep sorrow. And that deep sorrow comes in many different ways. First of all, like the disciples, it comes when things don't go like we hoped they went or will go. Their whole hope was based on what they knew. They were hoping in Luke 24, 21, the, the men walking on the road to Emmaus were telling Jesus that after Jesus had resurrected. They had said this. We were hoping that it was he, that it was Jesus who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since all these things happened. They were hoping he was the one, that he was the Messiah. But now, contrary to all their hopes, he got falsely accused, he got executed, he got buried. And they're deeply disappointed. You know, in this world, we are going to have sorrow and we are going to have confusion that comes as a result of that. That's, that's a, a given fact. And it can stem from a lot of different things. It can stem, like the disciples here, from that miss, they missed the hope. They thought that it was all done. Sometimes it happens in confusion over what we think the, the Bible says. Jesus had been repeatedly telling them what was going to happen. We read in the Gospels. And in the Old Testament, it said what would happen to the Messiah. But they had misinterpreted it. They wanted somebody to come and be that religious ruler, that governmental ruler that would take out the Romans. <laughs> Instead of seeing that Jesus came to save the souls of men and women. You and me. And sorrow can stem from seeing the triumph of evil 
in this world. Because we live in a fallen world, don't we? But Jesus Christ promises here to turn the sorrow into lasting joy. And that's where the words of comfort come in verses 19 through 22. Even though Matthew and Mark and Luke's Gospels contain instances of Jesus telling the disciples of what's going to happen, the rejection, the resurrection, all these things, look at how Jesus responds to their words of confusion here. Jesus knew that they wanted to question him. And he says to them, are you deliberating together about this? That I said a little while and you won't see me and again a little while and you'll see me again? He said, truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. As as the Son of God often did when he walked among us, Jesus knows exactly what they're thinking. (laughs) He knows they're confused about what he had said. But Jesus doesn't fill in the blanks in terms of details about his imminent departure and reappearance. He focuses not on what will happen. He focuses on how they will respond. His absence is going to produce sorrow in them. But this sorrow is not the kind of sorrow that you and I have when our dog chews up your favorite slippers. Okay? Sorrow produced here. Did you catch it there in verse 20? It's weeping. It's lamenting. It's a deep sorrow. The sorrow-inspiring absence of Jesus will be a source of rejoicing for the world. The world will be excited about that. The religious rulers would be happy about what would happen. They'd get rid of this rabbi, this teacher. Those opposed to the truth of God are happy when those things happen. You see, something devastating to the disciples would happen very soon, and Jesus is trying to prepare them. But in verse 20, he gives these men good news. Their fast approaching sorrow will be turned to joy. And I want you to notice there, the sorrow won't be replaced by joy. It will be turned into joy. Turned to joy. And then in verse 21, you see the illustration. This is where you who are moms out there, you know this one very well. And it's the illustration that Jesus used. The sorrow of a woman in labor is not eventually replaced. Sorry. It's not eventually replaced by some unrelated joy. No, her sorrow, her pain is purposeful. And the miracle of a baby, the miracle of new life puts everything, even her sorrow, into perspective. This illustration is quite literally pregnant with meaning, isn't it? There may be a little chuckle or a little eye roll on that, especially out of you ladies. But isn't it true? Once you hold that child, he wants to encourage these men to know, to not give up hope when the darkness of death covers this scene, they will see Jesus again. You see, Jesus is a sensitive Savior, isn't he? 
He knows the confusion. Jesus could have chewed them out for being so slow to understand for what he was repeatedly repeatedly telling them. (laughs) Instead, he graciously and patiently acknowledges their confusion. And he assures them that after a short season of sorrow, they will soon experience his lasting joy. Even though the Lord knew the future before it happened, he didn't deal with the disciples in some cold, mechanical manner. He didn't just say to them, buck up, guys. It's all predestined to work together for your good. I'm reminded of the words of Psalm 103. Verses 13 and 14, it says, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. You see, Jesus is a suffering Savior who willingly went through the unimaginable sorrow on our behalf. Think about this and just... Within a day, he will sweat drops of blood in the garden. Within a few hours, he will bear all of our sins on the cross. He will cry out with those in agony, those words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He willingly will endure the hostility of sinners against himself. And on our behalf, like it says in Hebrews 12, on our behalf for the joy set before him, He endured the cross to bring glory to us, to bring salvation. And in Hebrews 4.15, it says, We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who's been tempted in all things, yet without sin. You see, Jesus is the risen Savior who conquered, who triumphed over sin and death. Jesus says in John 16, or here in John 16, in verse 22, says, Therefore you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. That's an underlined verse. You can underline that. No one will take that joy from you. And we see a dramatic change in the disciples after the resurrection from grief to lasting joy that was founded on seeing the risen Savior. Everything about the Christian faith, everything rests on the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Paul stated it in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile. It's worthless. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. But, it says, Paul writes, he says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first truth of those who have fallen asleep. That transformed the apostles. These fearful, defeated, confused men, it transformed them into the bold witnesses that they became. They were willing to suffer and die because they had seen the Lord Jesus. And do you remember what Jesus said to Thomas? When Thomas did see him, he said, Blessed are you, Thomas, you've seen and believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He was talking about you and me. And that's where the words of confidence come here. As this 
sorrow is turned to eternal joy. In verses 23 and 24, there we read that Jesus um, brings these words of kindness. He says, in that day, no, you will no longer ask me anything. I'll tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive. And your joy will be complete. <laughs> now, what's Jesus saying in these verses? <laughs> well, notice the change that Jesus is describing in the terms of the disciples' relationship to God. During his earthly ministries, the disciples asked a lot of Jesus. They asked questions. They asked for provision. They even asked for places of honor at Jesus' side. And they did this because they recognized the very thing that Jesus talked about so often. That the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. That the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he's doing. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. But look at what Jesus is saying about the time that is coming. After a little while, they will see Jesus again. And in that day, you will ask nothing of me. No, what they will do instead in that day is go directly to the Father in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Up to this point, they would not been doing this, but something will be different in that day. Not only will they be able to go directly to the Father in that day, but they will also receive what they ask for in that day. He will give it to you. Now, before you start thinking that I'm a name it, claim it person, Jesus isn't guaranteeing a, a disciples a blank check here. He's guaranteeing an open door, isn't he? He is guaranteeing fatherly favor. He is guaranteeing a full joy. When we ask in the Lord's name. We put it into His court. <laughs> and we rely on what God knows is best. <laughs> Just as a ticket gives us access to a restricted event, the name of Jesus gives us access to the Father in heaven. <laughs> there will be much we don't understand as Christians in this world. There will be much we don't understand as we read God's Word and we study it. And we don't always understand the things of God without God's help. Because they are the things that need to be spiritually discerned. <laughs> the comforter, the counselor needs to come. The Holy Spirit. And Jesus has to go so that he can. <laughs> Do you remember Thomas's word in the upper room? It's the first time we hear one of the disciples when he looks at Jesus, he says, My Lord and my God. In verse 24, Jesus says, Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive it, that your joy may be full. Now, in summation of all these things, we have words which secure joy. If I was to do this right with another C... For secure, I would put the word cement. <laughs> it cements our joy. We've seen all this. We've seen the disciples' confusion. And we've seen all these things. But let's go through these things once again. It says there, no one will take your joy away from you. No one will take that joy away from you. It's reiterating what Christ has done and what he will do for them 
and what he has done for us. It's back when we go back to the Old Testament to Nehemiah and Ezra. And Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. (laughs) It's the joy of the Lord. (laughs) And we have here that joy. It's secure in the victory that Christ has won for us on the cross. In a little while, you see me no longer, Jesus said. That cross is going to happen. And the cross of the, is the very place where the true enemies of joy are defeated once and for all. On that bloody Roman cross, Jesus cries out, It is finished. He wasn't saying, I am finished. He was declaring that His work of substitution, atonement, and reconciliation for you and for me was finished. And by the way, if you look at that word in the Greek, the perfect tense, it means it was finished and it stands true for all time after it. It's still true today. For you and for me. In Galatians 6.14, Paul summed that up. He said, but it's for me to boast... Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Our joy is secure in the cross. It's secure in the victory of the resurrection. In a little while, you, I, I will see you again. You will see me, Jesus says. <laughs> he defeats death. And by the way, the true joy of Christmas is inseparable From Easter's triumph. Jesus came to this world to bring life. Many years ago, a Salvation Army officer was preaching in Chicago and a man spoke out in the front of the crowd and he said, you can talk about how Christ is dear to you, but if your wife were dead as my wife is and you had babies crying for their mother, you couldn't say what you're saying. A few days later, the preacher's wife was killed in a tragic accident, train accident. At the funeral service, the grieving husband stood beside her casket and he said, the other day when I was preaching in this city, a man said that if my wife were dead and my children were crying for their mother, I couldn't say that Christ was sufficient. He said, if that man is here, I tell him that Christ is sufficient. My heart is crushed, it's bleeding and broken, but there is also a song in my heart, and Christ put it there. The Savior speaks comfort to me today. The man who had raised the objection was present that day. And as this story goes, he surrendered his life to Christ. Our joy is secure also here in access now to the Father. In verse 24, it says, Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. It may be complete. In Ephesians 2, verse 18, it says, For through Him, and that's what it's saying here, through Jesus, we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. We can go to Him in prayer. Davy Troxell said, This story, he said, my eight-year-old son came home from school with a stuffed animal he had won at the class Valentine party. How did that happen? His dad asked him, and he said, well, he explained, he said, the teacher put our names together, all of our names into a hat, and then picked one out. I cheated, though, he said. He was looking a little guilty. He said, 
I prayed. (laughs) What Jesus is teaching is here and what the rest of the Bible confirms is that our genuine joy, that joy in the Lord springs up and it flows from the well of the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done. Brothers and sisters in Christ, are you living in that joy? I'm not talking about just the feeling here. Are we living in that joy of knowing what Christ has done for us? We might search for joy in a lot of places, in our marriage, in our careers, in a life that's free from pain, free from worry, free of struggle. (laughs) Or that feeling that we can be in control and maybe the approval of others, maybe sports, entertainment, vacations, recreation. But where is the joy in that? The true joy. Don't get me wrong, there's good joys. But the joy of the Lord (laughs) is the key. All those other joys are fickle and they're fleeting. They're temporary. They're temperamental. At their worst, those joys are obstacles to God and reasons for His judgment. But at their best, those joys should point us to the giver of genuine joy. (laughs) And Jesus died so that we can live in that joy. We can live in true joy. In Jesus, our joy is complete. Look again at that Nehemiah verse. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Philippians 4.4, 4, the verses before what was read earlier today. Rejoice in the Lord. And I tell you again, rejoice. And think of the song that we'll sing during Christmas many times. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. He is come. He has come. He will come. But He is come. He's here for you and me today. To call on His name. And He will not deny coming to you. This is quite a passage. And I want to end with simply a quote from C.S. Lewis about true joy. Joy truly is the business of heaven, isn't it? The joy of the Lord. To know Him as our Savior. May you and I go forward in that and as we sing at the end today, may you and I cry out to Him again. (laughs) May we look to Him and to Him alone. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your words. And thank You for true joy. Help us in the sorrow that we face day in and day out. When the times we don't feel like You're nearby, remind us of the truths of Your Word, and the truths of Your life lived for us. And the truth of your sacrifice, the truth of your resurrection, Lord.
May those come to us each and every day. And may we trust, give us the ability to simply trust and have faith in you. And know the joy of what it will be to see you one day face to face in all of your glory. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.